Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey everybody, welcome to the Savage to Sage podcast. Uh, today I have the great privilege of having Adam Binkert on our podcast today. Adam, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this, Kyle. So Adam is the founding partner and CEO of uh, 240 Solutions and uh, previously was the executive director of student engagement and retention at Indiana Wesleyan University. And he also has a long history of education from Indiana Wesleyan University and service at that university as well. So just wanted to give a brief bio of a bit about uh, your experience and so just to start off, can you tell me a bit more about 240 Solutions? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, excited to do that. 240 Solutions is, in a lot of ways, kind of like fractional employee engagement. Uh, and so we're living in this world, especially post-COVID, you know, that's it's difficult. Employee engagement is such a tricky thing rather than have to dedicate an office to it, because it's always that thing that you get to when you have time and then there's never time. Uh, we've created this space where we walk alongside companies uh, for the purpose of employee engagement. And there's a myriad of ways that we uh, engage in that. Uh, but that's really what we do is help organizations really elevate the people and recognize it, elevate and act on it. You know, the inherent value of their people, that's what we do. And we absolutely Love. I just said the other day, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. You know when you're you're in a good place when you can say that about your your role. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 It's not a hundred percent of the time, right? Sometimes the work just sucks like it does for everyone else. But for the most part, uh, I really can't believe I do this for a living, you know, to value people and uh, it's it's fantastic. So if you were to describe to people kind of like what is the problem that you're solving? Uh, within your company, how would you de- how would you describe that? Uh, well, I think I would start by saying the problem is a misunderstanding of employee engagement, uh, but that's not a problem that organizations are aware of. So the problem that they're aware of is oftentimes the the human experience. And they may not say it that way, but that's what they're getting at. Because an organization may say, "Well, we have competitive wage, and you know, we have flexible time, and." good benefits package. And yet, gosh, people are still disengaged or we're losing people. Turnover's high. Those are some of the the symptoms maybe. And that's where I say our solution that we're bringing is improving the human experience. And that is in essence, the definition, the underlying thing of employee engagement. Uh, but we have to help them understand that first. Right. So it's helping them redefine employee engagement because it's, it's been a little bit ill-defined uh, over the last 15 to 20 years. So that's a great question. So 15, 20 years ago, how have we defined employee engagement? How would you define it now? I'd be curious to know. Yeah. So if you go back 15 years, that puts us right around the 2008, 2009, the rough economy. And that was a moment, right, where the workforce in large was saying, I can't take care of my family. 
And so the employee need, the human experience, defaulted, if you will, to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I got to make sure that I can provide shelter and food and these things. And because of that, healthcare was a big deal. So benefits, the need for benefits become a focus, a stronger focus. As more uh, women start taking in the workforce and families, you got dual income families, uh, which started much earlier than 2008. But just that element there and, you know, making that correlation over to the fact that that's where flex schedules and being able to flex to get these kids to school. I got to get a way to pick them up. And those things then be kind of became the definition of employee engagement that I engaged employees are, they're going to engage when they can have these things, competitive wage that, like I said, but if you dig into the research, Kyle, the research is really clear that Employee engagement is much, much deeper than that. It's it's an innate piece of who we are, and it's the idea that our engagement comes from the acknowledgement of our humanity. And that comes in the sense of belonging, vulnerability, and shared purpose. These are, these are true about all of us, and it's, it transcends our economic status or our gender, our age we all kind of seek for that. And so helping an organization realize that you can be a great place to work. You, you may even be awarded that great place to work. But there is a difference between a great place to work. You know, that's employee satisfaction and employee engagement. When the humans feel seen and brought into something bigger than themselves, that's, that's real employee engagement. So unpack the kind of the three concepts that you talked about. Uh, I know that being seen was one vulnerability. What was the third? Can you kind of share a bit more about those? Yeah, it was belonging, vulnerability, and shared purpose. So belonging, uh, we have a tool that we created to measure the human experience in an organization. It's our culture diagnostic. It measures those three things. Belonging in our metric is really looking for both community and psychological safety. Uh, so as you were, were hearing, it is about being seen and heard. Uh, that's the psychological safety part. But there's a communal part of it. You don't understand that we were designed to work in community and to thrive in community. So that's that part. Vulnerability is an interesting one. And, and it's one that I think a lot of leaders are confused by at first. <laughs> but in essence, it's the, it's the readiness to admit that I don't know everything, that I'm creating that space. And, and when we see vulnerability come up in an organization, when we see it measure high or low, it's either the presence or absence of a leader or a leadership team that is willing to say, I didn't, I don't know. It's willing to say, I made a mistake. Uh, it's willing to bring, invite someone in to say, what do you see that I can't? Uh, that's vulnerability and it begets vulnerability that then the organization starts to collectively accept and understand their limitations. And in that, uh, they find strength, right? Because my limitations are different than yours. And so we can complement each other differently. Uh, the last one is probably the easiest, you know, shared purpose. It's shared reason for doing and, and being. I read recently, you know, we've, we've heard it said, you know, this generation doesn't want to work. You know, we, 
you can't get them. And, and the truth is that's been said about every generation by the previous generation, I'm pretty sure. Um, I know it was said about mine and I'm a Gen Xer. And I would tell you right now, Gen X people are some of the hardest workers you'll ever meet. So it wasn't really true. But what's growing in truth is that nobody wants to work without purpose. And so showing up every day to say, crunch those numbers, dig that hole, hammer that nail, whatever the case may be, we're not providing a shared purpose. Why are we doing this? That's why Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, was a bestseller. It resonated with the community. So those are the three things. That's just a short unpack of kind of why we measure those things. That's great. I'm I'm shifting here because I want to go into what you shared a bit further, um, but just a little bit later on in the conversation, you know, kind of going back to you starting, you know, 240 Solutions. Can you talk to me about like what led you to do that and to starting that company? You had mentioned in the in the uh, intro that uh, I do have a breadth of education. That's uh, you know anyone that digs into my LinkedIn profile, like my goodness, have you been in school your entire life? Uh, it's almost, <laughs> but <laughs> the reality of that is is that's kind of where this came from. Is I was the employee who, or or the community member, the the player on the team, whatever the case may have been, that was not confident in himself. I was feeling like uh, I was lost amongst the group. But knowing what was going, kind of going on internally, that I do have thoughts about things. I do, I, I do think I can create input, but wasn't really given the space at times. And so as I stepped into leadership, you know, when, when I got the opportunity to start leading, which was at the age of 16, um, I started managing people. All I knew was that leading well, managing well was about output. It was about what we can produce together. And I was good at that. I like to work with my hands. I still do today. And so it was it was simple for me to dig in and be the hardest worker in the room. And, and out of that, you get promoted. And to me, I led that way, that that's what's going to make us. That's what's going to make me a good leader. That's what's going to make us a good team is when we all just kind of self-sacrifice and we just dig in to do the job regardless. And it was a few mistakes across that journey that really stood out to me that I'm going, man, something's wrong with this picture. And part of that was with my education and learning about leadership and looking and studying leader theory. And I'm going, man, I, I don't do that. What's empathy? <laughs> you know, I, that has no place in uh, in a landscape business. That has no place in a construction business. You know, these are the trades that I worked in. I don't have time to empathize. I got rafters to hang. And so I started realizing there's an absence here and and started implementing those. Well, then my career took off. And in a lot of ways, I ended up working more white collar roles. And I realized that, man, it's the same thing putting the emphasis on how people are experiencing their day, you know, recognizing that the personal life and professional life cannot be segregated. They are 100% fluid. And knowing that things like empathy and curiosity, they're powerful tools that any leader can adapt and add to their tool belt. 
And when, when we had the success we had with the university, which was aimed at improving student outcomes, student success, we did that by focusing on employee engagement. And we built programming that allowed the employee to have a voice, to be heard, to say, this is my perspective from financial aid or accounting or um, assessment. And it, it created this really unique space where innovation was happening without entering the room saying, we're going to innovate. And out of that programming, we, we created incredible impact in student success. And so when I left the university, I thought these principles, they apply to anyone who employs people, which, you know, FYI, Kyle, that's everybody. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it is. I thought, okay, well, let's see, you know, and uh, so we thought, let's let's dip our foot in and see if it works. And uh, again, of course, we've been building around that ever since. That's really where it started. It started with me feeling that first. And recognizing, man, I've got things to add, but nobody ever asked me. Nobody cares what I think, but man, I'm pretty good at this stuff. And recognizing that um, I'd watch leader after leader go before me and they get in position and it seems like they forget. You once didn't feel heard. And uh, I committed in my life, I'm not going to be that leader. I'm going to be the one that remembers everyone wants to feel heard. And everyone brings value immediately. So it started there. And then, of course, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you, no one does it as well as you can do it for yourself. As That's what goes on up here, right? That's the pride of being an entrepreneur. And so we decided to package it. See, let's see if we can do this as a, kind of, again, a fractional relationship with organizations. Is there, is there something, you know, like I'm, I'm really curious because it seems you know, that transformational shift for you coming from like, you know, following other leaders and then hearing things like empathy, noticing that like, hey, I don't have a voice, but I want to be heard. You know, being at Indiana Wesleyan University, seeing people feel heard and creating like pathways for them to feel, you know, heard in general. Like, I'm just curious to know, like, what the research said about that, because I, what I'm trying to get at is that like, I, I think in general, as this conversation has gone on, we've talked about employee engagement is providing benefits, those types of things, kind of the surface level. But what you're talking about is definitely more fundamental to who we are as human beings and kind of creating a human, a better human experience. So I'm just like thinking about like, can you tease on a little bit of that research that supports your experience that you personally had, what you saw that, you know, and kind of what you're doing now, like that supports that a bit further, you know? I, first and foremost, it, it results in really tangible outcomes, right? The outcomes that organizations, yeah, you know, it makes the KPIs, right? Th those, those kinds of things. Profitability, productivity, uh, depending on what context you're in, you're measuring different things. It results in that, but it gets billed as oh, that's that that's that touchy feely crap. We don't have time for that here. Um, or, you know, well, my people just know that's who I am. You know, from a leader perspective, and you know, all of those are lies we tell ourselves. I, in my opinion, to justify the uh, 
the a-hole that we walk around being to people and prioritizing task over talent. You know, we do this to make ourselves feel better. But when you dig into the research and you look, and that's what was so fascinating to me. And to clarify for those listening, you know, I have, I'm all but dissertation in my PhD uh, for leadership. I have two master's degrees in leadership. I've studied leader theory further than really any human should. (laughs) That's just, it's unnecessary. It starts to be repetitive. But as you dig into those theories, you realize they're all fundamentally based on how we treat people as people. Uh, You can take any theory you pull off the shelf and, you know, for the novice leader expert, they want to villainize transactional leadership and then praise things like servant leadership or transformational leadership, which is foolish and short-sighted because transactional leadership is still about how we connect with the human in a transaction. You know, that there are things that have to get done. Let's not act like there's not. It's how we interact with one another that produces the quality of those things that are getting done while also holding high the quality of one's life and mental state. And I think that's the the part that I want to challenge people to to look into if you want to dig into the research and yeah, you can do a quick Google search and see what are the what are the outcomes, benefits of employee engagement. Guarantee you you're going to see on average, this, these are the numbers, when an, there's an engaged workforce, you have the uh, opportunity for, I believe the average is a 17% bump in productivity, a 21% bump on average in profitability. Uh, but My ploy is please don't stop there because you can dig down into mental health and you can dig down into these other things. And that really is the value of employee engagement is that you get people showing up and they not only want to be there, but they care about the product. Um, And that's a great place to be. That's why it results in those things. So, you know, I think we, we stop short. And we go, well, it's this, like, I'm doing this because, and maybe you've experienced this, Kyle. I don't, I don't know. I'd be curious that internal conflict that I know it results in greater productivity. Therefore I should do it versus I'm going to do it. I'm going to focus on the human experience because it's the right thing. You know, that motive, if you know what I'm saying, have you ever wrestled with that as in your professional roles or as a leader trying to figure out, am I doing it for the right reason? Does that make sense? No, it's a great question. You know, when you were saying that, like, I think, you know, I was having this conversation last week. It's it's similar. So I think we're talking about, you know, human experience. If you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like self-actualization, I would, you know, kind of put into there like, yeah, there's self-actualization. But part of that is um, acquired through community-based relationships. Um, and so part of, you know, kind of, you know, I would consider like one of the, an excellent transformative kind of human experience is to be able to have really deep relationships with folks. And, you know, it goes with all of those elements that you've kind of just described. And from my experience personally, um, is that when those elements are at place where, where you're safe, uh, that you're connected to another purpose and that there's people that are around you that are facilitating that type of safety. I don't necessarily know a better way to describe it, but you kind of get a bug, you know, you want nothing more to be part of those type of environments. 
And so thankfully for me, when it was like my first role outside of college, I had this incredible community that fostered that type of work environment. And, you know, I'll say it changed me. It changed me to say, I want to be a part of healthy environments that represent these values no matter where I go. And so it's been kind of like a personal goal for me that wherever I work, it's going to have that high level of value of people um, and kind of, you know, involvement of as me as a person, because I know that that environment has changed me and I don't want to go back, <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Well, yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like um, once you've tasted it, there is nothing more satisfying as a leader you know, one of the principles that we have built 240 Solutions around is that every solution an organization needs already exists within the people they employ. And what we often find, especially in large organizations, they're always trying to buy a fix, right? They're trying to purchase this or purchase that or the latest trend or whatever the case may be. Instead of engaging their people, what I kind of heard you getting around community is, when we get into that, we realize that I don't have the answer. I don't have the fullness. But when I when I couple myself with this person and this group and I start to build, um, that's the beauty of humanity. You know, pause. If, if you're a leader listening, pause and ask yourself, why were we created with deficiencies? Because we need other people. And when the human experience sucks in your organization, if you're a leader, that's on you because it starts with us as leaders. You know, it's it's the source right from that. And if a leader would take the risk, in your case, you stepped into an organization, you know, early on, you're like, I want this. This is what I want. And I think for those who maybe more like me, you know, one of my work, first work experiences, I was cussed up one side and down the other for a poor job. And I, you know, again, I worked in trades for a long time, but that's part of the story there with trades. It's like, well, that's just working in trades. That's what it's like to be in manufacturing. No, that's what it's like because you as a leader choose for that to be what it's like. And I think that's where my passion comes to to say, we can change that. Like, at what point did we accept less that me producing widgets for XYZ Corp is higher priority than who I am as a human being? That's not okay. It's not okay with me, at least. And I think that it can change. And I, I see it changing as the generations continue. You know, the Gen Z now is, is coming into the workforce, like, really strong you know that starts in 1996 uh when you see that and you realize they're the ones showing up and go no i matter and if i don't matter here i'll go find somewhere that does and that's different because boomers and my generation and x was kind of like that you signed on and you work and you work there 40 years and then you die and that that has changed that environment has changed uh, in our society and leaders, uh, it's hysterical to me, Kyle, there's leaders holding out. Like, no, you'll, uh, I'm going to find some people that will just work and they'll grind themselves to the bone and, and die here. That's, uh, it's sad because they control that opportunity and you get so much more 
out of the beauty of humanity when you can start there and say, I don't know everything. I, I have to invite people into this space to help me. Uh, we're in trouble if I don't. Yeah. So this, I mean, this goes to our previous conversation. And so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more kind of like building in a team and a culture. And I kind of want you to wear kind of like your consultancy hat. You know, you're going into an employer's, uh, somebody, you know, is kind of hired to bring you on like, hey, can you look, look at our, you know, employee engagement, you know, those types of things. I want to start off with just kind of like, you know, how do you know when you walk into a room if an employee gets it? But I, I ultimately want to move into the conversation about what do you think prevents leaders from trying a new way? I kind of want to, I want to get there um, eventually. So let, let's, we'll just do some kind of some softballs. And, but I, I think that's core to where I want to get to in the conversation, because I think there's difficulty for that change to kind of happen and to embrace it. So maybe I'll just do one question regarding team culture, and then we'll jump into the leader, the leader bit. So when you, when you walk into a room and you're working with them, like, how can you tell an employee is kind of, they get it, they're part of like the, the company's mission and vision. Are there kind of things that you see that would, you would say, oh, they're kind of in a good spot in, a, in that type of circumstance? Yeah. And, and just to clarify, Kyle, you're, you're asking as a consultant, right? Yeah. Not as a leader in an organization, how do I know? But yeah. as a consultant, and you are asking directly about employees, not the leadership team. Yeah, employees. Yep. Yeah. So my answer will be uh, maybe a bit shocking. Um, it's not, in my opinion, it's not what, in my experience, it's not what you think it is. Okay. I like to say the first person I'm looking for is the troublemaker. And there's a reason because as leaders, we misassign those who are bought in as those who they show up to every meeting and they're like, you know, just super happy to be there. And what do you need, boss? And that's bought into them. And that's different to me because someone who's bought in the culture is bought in on what we're doing and why we're doing it. And when someone is really bought in at that level, they can come across as, again, what I like to affectionately refer to as troublemakers because they have thoughts about what we're doing. And they question, well, have you considered this? Or when you roll out a new, a new product or a new process, uh, their instinctive rea reaction or response is typically, well, you completely forgot about this. That's going to create a problem here. And we hear that and go, gosh, Susie's just such a problem. If she could just buy in, how do we get Susie in our culture? And what you fail to recognize is Susie's speaking up because she cares enough to say something. She cares enough about the community she works with, if it's a process issue, the customer on the receiving end, if it's a product thing uh, or customer care. Uh, and that's a, I think that's a strong indicator. You walk in and you go, okay, those people, I want to make sure I pull close uh, because they're more bought in than you realize. But at the same time, they could be on the fringe of being lost. So, yeah, I think it's that. Of course, there's other things, right? If you want to look at the metrics in an organization, look at attendance. 
I mean, disengaged employees are sick more often. That's what the research tells you. So if you if you're wanting to see see it from a from a data, how do I look at my spreadsheet and know who's engaged? Well, I mean, look <laughs> look at your sick days. That's one way um, you can look. But I'm saying you, you got to pause and see it differently first. Like, do you want? I asked one leader, do you? He wanted to build a leadership team. And I asked him, I said, well, you, are you interested in leaders or are you just like the idea? Because if you're interested in having a leadership team, what you're really interested in people that won't take your BS and they're going to push back and hold you accountable to things that are in line with the mission, value, and vision. And if you don't want that, then don't create a leadership team. And I think that's part of this equation. When I look at who's engaged, I look for passion, first of all, and it often looks like trouble. That makes sense? Absolutely, it does. Can you relate? I mean, you, you've... No, you've I, I mean, so I, I, work, I worked at a camp in North Georgia for like six summers, okay? And by far, my favorite campers that I will talk about to my kids about, to anybody about when I bring up my camp experience are the troublemaker kids. Yes. They were my absolute favorite. Yep. I, I can't tell you how many times, Kyle, I have said we, we have a partner that works in education and I worked in, in um, alternative education for a while, too. So I really am passionate about it. And they're out there finding kids in the streets and help pulling them back into the classroom to help them finish their uh, high school diploma. I know from experience, those kids are difficult to deal with. I mean, they don't, they're not like us um, polished adults now, right? If, if I'm not into what you're saying, I'll pretend just to make you feel okay about yourself. They are not there, right? They give you that RBF, if you know what I'm talking about. We won't yep. unpack that. They give you that or they just go to their phone. They're not afraid. And, and I think it's so interesting because the most dynamic and powerful leaders I've ever encountered were that. They're sitting out there in the street, right? Some of them are in prison today, unfortunately. But think about what that means. Uh, we want compliance as leaders, and that's the wrong thing. You should be aiming for conflict, you know, and that's where you're going to find it. That's why those are your favorite camp kids. They were real. Oh, I, ex That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They were completely real. And like I, I like I think there's so much that I want to you know step into here from the leader's perspective because from a leader's perspective, how do you have the conversation with a leader? This is the icebreaker, but I you know want to get to it a bit further. Like, how do you have the conversation with a leader that, hey, the person that you think is a troublemaker is actually showing you that they care about your company and they value your company? How does that conversation happen? And then the future conversations to get to a leader to say. Hey, the way that you viewed leadership and the way that you engage employees, it's been kind of a false map in leading. And how do you kind of walk leaders through that process for them to kind of say, maybe there's a different way for me to lead and get them there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the the first about the seeing those employees different is really the coaching model, the, the technique is uh, motivational interviewing is the technique. Um, if you dig into a counseling world, I, had to, I have a counseling background also. So I've done a lot of things, it seems like, huh? Um, 
So I have a counseling degree and there's a technique called motivational interviewing. And in motivational interviewing, you know the answer that they need to arrive to. And it's led through a series of questions that help them unpack what they already know. And so in this case with that leader, it's helping them walk back through their experiences. Let's take a reflective journey here. You know, tell me about a time uh, you ever felt like the oddball out in the employee or in the, in your workforce in a previous role, something like that. Uh, because the reality is if they're leading at a high level, they once were passionate like that and probably were stirring the pot a bit to the leader above them. So I think it starts there, but mostly it's about letting them experience it, letting the leader see it happen. And you know, we do all of our engagements, Kyle, are built around workshop format. Um, and we use Lencioni's Working Genius, and we leverage that as a phenomenal tool. Uh, but what we're building around it, it, the Working Genius is great. It's it's our Trojan horse, if you will. Uh, what we're doing around it is allowing those people to be seen and heard. And when a leader's in the space, right, and they have a preconceived idea of the problem statements on the board, they know, well, here's where the answer needs to land. And then when it lands there and they didn't actually guide it there, they didn't give their input, but they watched it land, they realized, wow, my employees have more to bring to the table. I'm not giving them enough credit. It's really when they feel it is when and experience it, that employee, and they see them work together to come to conclusions that we often think, well, if I don't do it for them, they're not going to get there. But it's just not true, right? So I think getting them to step through that and is, is about a journey back and then go, okay, now sit in the room and just sit there and shut your mouth and watch what happens. Uh, because that's, that's what needs to happen. No, I mean, what you're sharing actually reminds me a lot of par- about parenting. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so yeah. like, I don't know if it's just me, but for me, it's like, there's this big fear. Okay. So I was told early on at my first work, work environment, it's like, Hey, just so you know, you really need to name your fears because if you don't, they're going to drive you, you know, okay, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to completely drive you subconsciously. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about as I parent my son, as I parent my daughters, like I'm thinking about like, what are the things that I want to know? And, and, I'll confess that a lot of the time it's the, it's, it can be the fears that, you know, that I don't want them to experience, you know, Um, or the fears that I have just underlying there. And I've been kind of playing this game with, with my son recently where I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm trying to catch myself. So it's kind of like, Hey bud, what do you think I'm going to say to you in this moment? (laughs) I love it. Nine times out of 10, he knows exactly what I'm thinking without saying it. You know, it's like the message that I've been like the fear that I have about him not getting me or, you know, what I'm thinking and all those types of things. It's already downloaded. It's hardwired in there pretty good. And like, he doesn't need, he doesn't need saying it again over and over and all of that. So I just... I mean, think about that. What you just said. How many leaders, Kyle, have you engaged that are just worn out? Yeah, you know they're they're going. And if I got to get there, because it's not going to happen if I don't. 
I have heard directly said to me, if I die tomorrow, my business will close because my leaders can't run this thing. And and sometimes that's true. I mean, in my organization, that is absolutely true. It's a small team. If I get hit by a bus on the way home, the business closes. Okay, so I'm not saying that's not reality sometimes. But in that case, if you have a team and they're responsible for certain areas, I challenge any leader to take the practical approach that you're taking on a different scale and try it. Do nothing once and see what happens. Because it turns out they're brilliant. (laughs) They've been listening to you. And why are leaders exhausted? Because they're trying to do it all, all the time. It's like, holy cow, what in the world? (laughs) Slow down. But yeah, I love that. I, I, similar things with my kids. I've, a parent differently, but I think good parenting and good leadership, they look a lot alike. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good strategy. I like it. I'll adopt it. Maybe I'll I'll ask my kid, what do you think I'm thinking? And my kids are adults, so <laughs> they'd be like, Why are you asking me this? <laughs> I mean, I, I was amazed. You know, I was amazed at, at my my son's intuition and I mean, it was kind of, you know, it kind of made me relax a little bit. And I'm like, oh, that's a different feeling, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it really is, right? Because you realize he's heard me. Yeah. And that, you know, I I think I just remembered your other question. Like, how do you get a leader to step through this? Yes. In the beginning. Yes. And that consequently is the first question to ask, what are you afraid of? Because if that's, that's the thing is. All of us, I don't care who you are on this planet, are full of insecurities. And they're all unique to us, and they're all built from our own winnings and failings. And if if a leader first can identify that insecurity, identify what am I really afraid is going to happen? In, in, in the CEO's case, it's saying, if I die tomorrow, my leaders, it'll collapse. My leaders can't run this organization. To that leader, I'd say, it's a real high probability that you think if I release this, I won't matter. And really, the truth is, you will matter more than you ever have. And it goes right back to what you were saying. You will taste and see the highest value, the highest inspiration that a leader can see is when someone steps up and leads they step up and they step in but people can't step up if you don't step out you gotta give them room for that and i think getting a leader to address their fear to say it out loud because you know it's especially men you know and uh, we do quite a bit of work We're, we're having some traction really gaining the trades and i love it I love it, Kyle. We're roofing companies and utility companies, and, and and you're in that space. And these are men's men, right? Yeah. And so you ask that question: what What are you afraid of? What are you afraid's going? I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, that's not true. Uh, but getting them, yeah, you know, I've I've said so many times. I think when I'm working with men, it's it's a coaching situation or whatever. It's helping them understand that as men, we start with a misunderstanding that there's two emotions, right? It's I'm happy or I'm pissed off. Well, <laughs> that's not, that's, those aren't emotions. <laughs> those are categories. And when we can back down and go, okay, you're, you're angry. 
but what's below that? Well, I'm disappointed, you know, or I'm, I'm um, hurt. Like these are words men don't say. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to get on the, the female gender side of this equation, but I think starting there, like whatever comes out of your mouth first, what are you afraid of? The next question should be, what are you afraid of? Because mm-hmm. that first thing you said is probably not it, right? So, yeah, I, getting people to step through it starts with getting them to be prepared to step through it. Um, and then, and then I don't know, at some point saying, I'll do it with you. You know, let's do this together. That's great. That's great. I'm going to ask one more question. Well, actually, two more questions. Um, and then I'll give the, uh, the viewers an opportunity to kind of, you know, ways that they connect with you if you just want to share uh, your kind of your contact information. But what has been the most rewarding thing that has come out of, out of your evolution as a leader? Wow, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> What's the most rewarding thing? It doesn't. Ha- I mean, <laughs> don't have to put the emphasis on most. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm with you. I I think my evolution as a leader. Well, I might get emotional, Kyle. You got me on this one, bud. Um, mm. the most rewarding thing in the evolution of my leadership has been the peace that I feel because I don't have to have all the answers. When someone steps into this and they realize that leadership should be a whole lot of fun, it is the opportunity to give opportunity. It's the opportunity to listen, to be curious. And when you do that, what happens is the weight of the world is lifted off of you because you realize I'm not in this by myself. The success or failure of this team, this organization does not hinge on me and my personality and my willingness to work 12, 16 hour days. It hinges on my ability to rally people to see their value. And that is the greatest gift any leader can receive is when someone else's value outshines their own. I love it. And it, I, would, I, would, I would take this journey of development a hundred times over knowing that's going to be the result. Ultimate peace. So, yeah, it's not a tangible outcome maybe, but it was for me. Correct my world. Uh, that's amazing. What sage advice would you give to a new entrepreneur or leader that's just starting to launch? The greatest skill you can acquire is courage. I think that would be it. And we think, especially in entrepreneurship, you think, oh man, it's the courage to risk it. It's the courage to put my money on the line. It's the courage to create a new product, start a new business. And yeah, that takes courage for sure. But the highest level of courage you will ever need is to put your self-agenda aside and look someone else in the eye and say, where do you want to go? What do you need? I think that's it. That that takes a savagery of its own. I, th- I was listening to Dan Stewart, I believe it was, that, that you guys had, uh, had engaged. I think it was him that said the savagery is about internal. You know, savagery that matters in entrepreneurship is the savagery that says, I won't accept the status quo for myself. 
I'm going to be better tomorrow than I was today. And I'm not going to look past people in the process. And that takes so much courage, Kyle. And I, I'd say my advice to any leader, whether you're stepping out to start a business or you're stepping into a role as a team leader, is search deep inside and find the courage to make it about everyone else because it's really not about you. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate that. Um, if people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, uh, they, of course, could go to the website and see uh, some of the things we're doing there. That's uh, 240solutions.com. Um, I'm always the guy who says, just hit me up directly. And uh, so you can email me directly at adam at 240solutions.com or just find me on LinkedIn. So that's what I'd say. Cool. Adam, thank you so much for your time. I wish we had another hour to talk. Yeah, Kyle, it's been great. Thank you for uh, for engaging with me. I, I love the dialogue. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com. 